Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kane and Ren's Sound of Play 168. Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces of music from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 168 is our uh, returning friend, Andrew Brown. Hello. Hey, been a little while since we've uh, heard you on the show, but you come back with a wildly eclectic uh, <laughs> stable of music, which I like, which is perfect. <laughs> I, I do go through a lot of trouble of going back through the Sound of Play archives and picking Uh. (laughs) tracks from games that have never been selected before (laughs) it gets harder every time (laughs) you know i i started out um today's show with uh, one of my own requests this isn't one of the obscure games to which andrew is talking uh, of which andrew (laughs) is talking about this is a uh, a very kind of bog standard mix from not only one of the mainline zelda games but the shop music which is something that you'll encounter very often this is uh called malo mart by toru minigishi and i was um I don't know whether or not I really like this piece of music as much as it's just very memorable. (laughs) Memorable is a word for it. (laughs) Now, did you go back to uh, Twilight Princess with the HD remaster on the Wii U? I did, and I was actually very glad that I did because, Mm -hmm. you know, the Twilight Princess, I don't know what it was about it, but when it first came out, it just felt so samey and traditional. Yeah, Yeah. but when I revisited on Wii U... Uh, which was like eight years after the original came out, I think. It felt so fresh and great and just big, and it has the best dungeons of the series, I would mm. say, and I I now rank it higher than Ocarina of Time. I rank it pretty highly among my favorite Zeldas. I'm really glad I revisited it back then. I, I hope it gets people get another chance to revisit it on Switch, since the Wii U version, by nature of being on Wii U, probably didn't get the best <laughs> sales. <laughs> 
I feel similarly. I remember the game not making a huge impression on me when it was on uh, Wii and GameCube originally, uh, which I had played it on Wii. And uh, although when I went back to it on Wii U, there were some things about, especially the cinematography of the cutscenes, I really appreciated. But mm-hmm. the, um, I think the overall feel of the game and the story being told, it still struck me as a little bit samey. But I, I think it did leave more of a lasting impression than it did the first time. So maybe another 10 years down the line, I'll be like fully on board with it. But uh, I wonder what's kind of changed in our collective unconscious since its original release that um, that makes it feel more unique now than it did back then. Because you think it would be the other way around. I think it's just time, uh, yeah. especially with the Zelda games. Time needs to go by for people to really digest it and appreciate it. Because Majora's Mask went through the same thing immediately after it came out. It was a pretty divisive game in the series. But now today, I would say it's one of the most popular ones. Yeah, Um Although I will agree that uh, I think over time, Ocarina of Time drops further and farther down my list. <laughs> yeah, it does. But um, anyways, that's that's all Zelda chat. We've done plenty of Zelda chatting before. Uh, you are <laughs> part of our official Legend of Zelda Sound of Play, which we released before the Breath of the Wild. And I don't remember if we had any Breath of the Wild music on that. I don't Maybe think the game did. even had a title at that point. Oh gosh, you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that's a long time ago now. Um, but I think that was uh, Sound of Play 50 or something like that. It was 50, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> a while back. But uh, we, we covered the entire series up to that point of, uh, of Zelda music. And whether or not we knew what Breath of the Wild was. Uh, of course, we'd seen some E3 videos, but... Of course, it might not have had a title, might not have had any publicly available music. Uh, They didn't stop us from jumping into the series at that point, and maybe we'll revisit it someday. But we've uh, we've featured some Breath of the Wild music since. So anyways, seek out that episode. There's still a lot to learn about Zelda's history and uh, some cool music therein. Let's move over to a different long-running Nintendo series this is an uh, an interesting piece from an unexpected entry in one of, or maybe Nintendo's actual biggest franchise. I, I can never really tell. I think it has since overtaken Mario as the best-selling okay. franchise. Yeah, it seems right. It sounds right to me. So this is from the Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy Color. They actually adapted the card game as it existed then to be played on the Game Boy Color, which I really appreciated because, you know, when I was 11 years old when this game came out, I couldn't exactly afford to go out and buy booster packs. So mm-hmm. just being able to play a video game and get more cards that way, that really helped me out. So whereas all the other kids on the playground were playing Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow, I was playing Pokemon Trading Card Game and I was... I was the king of the playground at this game. <laughs> so I used to collect uh, Pokemon cards quite frequently, quite frequently. That makes <laughs> it sound like it's kind of like a reoccurring event type thing. It was like a constant part of my life for many years when I was mm-hmm. younger. But I never really got into playing the game itself. And so this <laughs> Game Boy Color game to me was kind of the opposite where it's like I had the cards, but I never learned how to play. And it was nice just to have the rules I kind of kept track of by the computer. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, kids love boundaries. 
how deep did the rules get? Was this like a Hearthstone, but on Game Boy Color, or was the game super enjoyable when played by the rules? Because, yeah, I never really got into that side of it. I enjoyed the heck out of it, but this was also very early on in the game's existence. Mm. So, like, I'm sure all the rules that have been added to it lately, and this was also before the tournament scene or anything like that. So, there weren't really deck sets that weren't allowed <laughs> at that point. You mm. know, all the yeah. things that happened, perfectly normal part of a metagame today, those things were completely new ideas back then if they existed at all. Interesting. So now this piece of music by uh, Ichiro Shimakura kind of evolves and transforms over time. There's a lot going on in the music. It's not just like a simple looping background track. It's like a whole performance yeah, which of different is... uh, Game Boy instruments and stuff. So is the entire soundtrack like this or what is it about this one that really stood out to you? Well, this is the normal dual song. So this is the song that plays in every non-boss battle. So you hear this song a lot whenever you're basically trying to build up your decks to take on the boss or you are just going back for 100% completion so you can catch them all. You are hearing this song, but I remember the rest of the OST being quite good as well. But this song always stuck out to me and has just probably through sheer repetition has stuck with me over the years. Mm. But I always remember that that really hissing percussive track and this hyperactive bass track, which exists under its melody. Uh, if I didn't know its source, I would guess that this track was played on a train driving video game. But this is actually mm. playing when you're playing a competitive card game against either another player or against the computer. It adds a lot of life and activity to what is actually you're mostly sitting there waiting for your turn a lot of the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's interesting transposing the trading card game into the Game Boy Color graphics because unlike the regular Pokemon games they did, kind of recreate the art that's featured on the trading cards, mm -hmm. uh, which were developed by Wizards of the Coast, which has the history of creating the uh, magic cards and everything, which are kind of famous for some of their artwork. And so it is neat to have that extra level of design and care go into the um, go into the visual presentation that you weren't getting in the mainline Pokemon games at the time. It had interestingly designed sprites, but you know it would be a while before they start animating the sprites and really start getting the most out of the presentation that was available. Mm -hmm. Well, anyways, let's listen to this song. This is Normal Duel from Pokemon Trading Card Game. Thank you. 
Let's move now to a remix. This was requested from the forum by Sergeant Silent, who says, We've had so much Undertale, though never this track surprisingly. I figured why not mix it up and show what other creators have done with Toby Fox's tracks. I know one of you loves the swing jazz remixes of tracks, and so I hope (laughs) this one fits your tastes. (laughs) This particular artist has other songs that have yet to be featured as well. Excellent. This is Death by Glamour, Electro Swing Remix by The Musical Ghost, originally composed by Toby Fox from Undertale. And uh, this is one of the very memorable, as they all are, boss battles from Undertale. Andrew, have you uh, have you gotten into Undertale? I know it just released on the Nintendo Switch, and so sometimes that's kind of your cue to get going on it. Actually, I played it on PC, which oh, uh, says a lot that I actually <laughs> took the time to play a game on PC. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I... I got a kick out of it i really enjoyed it i played it through with just a a neutral playthrough and then i did a true pacifist playthrough but Hmm. this is a game you have to play through a lot and you have to spend a lot of time with it and you have to spend a lot of time exploring it and thinking about it to really understand it and i i haven't given it that time yet i always appreciated this song and uh this boss battle especially because uh, it the, the music here really helps to sell the moment it's this upbeat jazz track that plays when the protagonist is in a life or death game show against this humanoid mm-hmm. robot dressed like an 80s pop star. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's pretty uh, wild moment. It, I think this has probably been said before on Sound of Play, but it has to be said again and again and again. Is games like Undertale and Stardew Valley, which are not only designed by Toby Fox and Eric Barone, they also have their own impressive soundtracks, which are created by those individual developers as well. This indie game design is just, it's an astonishing medium to be humbled by these incredibly talented, diverse, multi-talented artists. Mm. I think Toby, the amount of Undertale, which has been on Sound of Play is testament to that fact. Yeah, that's that's one of those interesting things because Toby Fox isn't just the musician. Uh, And so you know, there's a lot of reuse of music in Undertale and uh, reuse of elements of music in particular. Like this bass line from this track comes back again and again in Undertale. And I don't know whether that is, you know, as some sort of like unifying linking element or whether it's uh, kind of a sign that maybe Toby Fox isn't quite as like musically diverse in his talent as somebody whose entire like life is tied to musical pursuits as like a full-time composer uh, but i i really like it like it it does add something very familiar to the entire soundtrack and it makes it feel like it's all a part of like one collective whole where so many game soundtracks these days all kind of sound like each other in these yeah. big sweeping orchestral pieces mm-hmm uh, it's kind of nice to have something that is more grounded in just really catchy tunes and really kind of minimal uh, backing bass beats and everything. So, yeah, whatever the reason, it's a good one. <laughs> this is Death by Glamour, Electro Swing Remix from Undertale. Thank you. 
request from the forum. This comes from Peditis, who says, I want to request a song from Valhalla, cyberpunk bartender action, because one, it's a great visual novel about a bartender in a dystopian city in which you must serve drinks and listen to the stories of your customers from augmented humans and armored cops called white knights to talking, t-shirt wearing, Shiba Inu dogs, and sex worker androids that look like kids, creepy to say the least, and two, the soundtrack is amazing. And there's never enough songs with saxophone in it in video games music. (laughs) There's actually a lot of saxophone in this sound to play. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you know, of all the saxophone video game music, I think we end up uncovering a large percentage of it. So this is Valhalla, or we should say VA11 Hall-A. It's very cyberpunky in the way that it uh, represents its name. Uh, Andrew, have you gone through this one? I have not, but it's it's been on my radar. It looks like something I would enjoy, and yeah. especially after listening to this song. This song is 80s as hell, and <laughs> the saxophone part actually reminds me of Baker Street by Gary Rafferty. Hmm. Uh, I think people know this song, uh, whether they think they do or not. You know this song. The, the saxophone part is probably the most famous saxophone part in any song this side of Kenny G. So uh, <laughs> the obviously digital instrumentation stands at odds with... Uh, with the saxophone part, which I think it might be digital too, but it sounds I think so. just this side of it might be separately recorded. And it lends this sense of humanity to the song, but it also adds that sense of tech noir contrast to this upbeat tempo. Uh, it, it adds this sense of darkness to a song that otherwise sounds quite bright and happy to my ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I own Valhalla on a couple of systems. I just haven't really gotten around to it yet. You know, <laughs> I find these days it's really hard to set aside time to play, even like even though I really, really love these types of slower paced story games, I find it's harder to set aside time to play them. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but you know, to me, because I've got so many podcasts and things to like I always have something <laughs> productive I feel I should be doing. And so when I have like free, free, free time. I kind of just want to jump into something that's more kind of mechanically gratifying, like a Far Cry 5 or a Spider-Man. I miss out on these these story-based games. And, you know, when I do get back into them, like I was recently playing Kentucky Route Zero and uh, Life is Strange 2, you know, I do still really enjoy them. It's just I have to really kind of force myself to, to get with something a little bit slower paced. So... I don't know. It's it's my fault entirely. I I should um you know I, I'm losing the ability to, <laughs> to maintain my attention span. It's unfortunate, mm. but it is uh it's it's on both of our radars. Uh, we have nothing more to add to it. <laughs> Let's listen to the music. Every day is night by Michael Kelly from Valhalla.
we're about halfway through the track list, and uh, I just kind of wanted to take some time to catch up. Andrew, what are you up to these days? Most of my time these days is spent uh, playing Switch games for the podcast I do with Andy Corrigan and Ginny Wu, Switch Focus Podcast. We try to play as many of the new Switch releases as we can every week, and we try to say something substantial about it every week. And we've done a pretty good job of staying on top of things, even though we are quite often drowning in great new releases, because the Switch has been a pretty remarkable (laughs) platform for that. (laughs) I have no great transition out of the Nintendo Switch into the... Uh, into the Sega Genesis, but that is where my next request comes from. This is another track from the always reliable Tommy Tallarico Mm -hmm. and uh, Donald S. Griffin. This is from Disney's Aladdin, a game that was uh, very different depending on the platform that you played on. Uh, Andrew, had you played either the Sega Genesis or the Super Nintendo version of or versions of, uh, of Disney's Aladdin? I played Disney's Aladdin on Sega Genesis when uh slash sega mega drive uh when it was new Mm -hmm. but i i I couldn't actually get past the stage that this song plays on (laughs) which i think is an experience that most people had (laughs) uh but then two summers ago maybe three summers ago i i revisited it and i actually managed to beat the whole game that time and it's a pretty solid quality game because uh these these disney games especially aladdin have a pretty interesting development history because Somehow the licensing rights ended up in the hands of Virgin Games, and they're like, we're going to make our own. It turned out that the version that Virgin Games made for the Sega Genesis was superior to the Super NES one. It even had the involvement of some of the animators for the film, which really helped it to feel very authentic. And it also incorporated much of the music, uh, or at least, uh, obviously, adaptations for it for the, the Genesis's limited sound capabilities. But they sounded pretty fantastic. Uh, but this song, I think, was not based on any part of the movie, from what I recall. Yeah, I think that's right. This is a little bit more kind of poppy or rocky. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You know, the the Sega Genesis version of the game, I think I encounter more frequently as being a quote-unquote good game. But mm-hmm. I think it is one of those things where you'll get people like staunchly defending either version, depending on the version that they played. Well, that's that's Super NES versus Sega Genesis. That's the console wars. <laughs> it's never really gone away. If you were a kid in the 90s, you had uh-huh. a side and you probably, even if it's on a subconscious level, you probably still are on your side. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was a Super NES kid, but uh, that's that's just me. Dang right. Nothing uh-huh. against the, the Sega side, though, of course. And uh, illustrated by... This awesome song, this is Arab Rock from Disney's Aladdin on the Sega Genesis.
that's swinging it back around to early Nintendo music. This is an uh, interesting piece of music from... Now, I'm aware of the franchise as a whole, but I don't know that much about the video game, so you're going to have to walk me through this. This is from a game called Little Nemo the Dream Master, uh, which is another game that has a very interesting production history because Mm. uh, the Little Nemo character actually began as part of, of a very early comic series from the the late 1890s into the 1900s i think in england and if you go on google image search and look up these original comics they're breathtaking uh and you know fast forward into the 80s and a japanese animation studio adapted this old comic strip that nobody even remembered anymore into an animated film which eventually got released in the u.s but i think not until 1992 1993 and this game was a tie-in made by capcom to that animated film unbelievably since this was just what video game releasing was like back then uh, everything got a release this got released in the u.s before the animated film ever did and it's actually a pretty fantastic platformer it's it's capcom at the height of their uh, their powers, their skill, their their reputation, uh, as far as you know, the the eight and sixteen bit platforming era went, and you play as Little Nemo, who every time he falls asleep, he ends up in kind of like Wonderland, but it's Dreamland, uh, and he interacts with all the people mm-hmm. who live there, and every level is a platforming stage where you can actually transform into the animals who populate the world by feeding them candy that Nemo can throw, and like he can turn into a lizard. And he can climb up and down walls, or he can turn into a mole and dig through the ground, or he can turn into a frog and jump super high and jump on enemies Mario style, or there's a a gorilla he can turn into, there's a mouse that has a mallet. I could go on and on and on. I love this game. And every level has a different theme to it. And this song is from The House of Toys. The House of Toys features most of its action on the back of a train. So you actually have to kind of imagine this track is accompanied by train horns and the chugging of its pistons. I was actually really put off when I found this track on YouTube because it just it doesn't sound quite the same without that addition of a train, which almost adds a, a percussive track to it. But this does still have a percussive element to it. It has that fast one-two snap of what sounds like a snare drum that adds the kind of underlines the meditative pace that this level takes on because it is a an auto-scrolling level as you are riding along the back of this train trying to dodge the attacks of this army of war toys trying to bomb you with kamikaze jet planes and balloons that drop bombs on you and also this maze of spikes that you have to jump through. It's a, it's a pretty intense level uh, for a pretty intense game. Uh, I really hope that, you know, with like the things like the Nintendo Switch Online or even just how many games get remade remastered or even just reported as a a classic game little nemo comes back because this is one of the forgotten gems of the nes platforming era that's interesting especially because the nes had so few sound channels that could be active at once that they would want to use one of them for a kind of a nearly ever-present uh sound effect track Mm -hmm. you think that would be a really easy thing to just bake into the music but uh, I guess not. That's that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's listen to House of Toys, or Train of Toys, I guess would be a more appropriate name, by Junko Tamaya from Little Nemo, the Dream Master. <laughs>
Let us get now into a track from the Nintendo 3DS. This is a request from the forum from Octorock385. Can we get one of these killer battle tracks on the pod? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, this is Battle 2 by Yuzo Koshiro from Etrian Odyssey 5 Beyond the Myth. I am unfortunately not that well versed in the Etrian Odyssey series. I don't play a ton of dungeon crawler games, but mm. I feel like that's something that I really should get into. I have a few. Uh, there was a kind of a recent, not recent, but a few years back, there was an indie a resurgence of the dungeon crawler uh, scene. And so I have a few of those games that I can get into. And I've got a couple of recent either releases or re-releases, I think it would be from uh, uh, NIS America on the Nintendo Switch recently, samples that they've sent along. I'm interested in getting into the genre. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't spent that much time with it yet. But this piece of music is super cool. It uh, kind of reminds me of some of the lavish battle music that you would get in the uh, Xenoblade series recently. It's big, lavish JRPG music, uh, the kind that you might get in a Persona game or something, and I'm okay with that. Let's listen to Battle 2 by Yuzo Koshiro from Etrian Odyssey 5 Beyond the Moon.
these uh, these big uh, multi instrument pieces on the 3DS. You know, kind of makes me wonder how how much they really got from those little speakers. I know that there's some pretty impressive soundtracks on there, and whether they're counting on people plugging in some headphones or whether whether that thing could really uh, really blast with the best of them. I think they're counting on headphones. I know I always played with headphones when I was playing it. Let's get into some music from Splatoon 2. This is a request of mine. This is, uh, well, I guess I only know the track from its uh, its Japanese name, which translates to Cream, but I don't know if there is like an official English name for this track. It's composed by Omega-3, uh, which is one of the in-game bands. Um, and this piece of music, uh, I believe, underscores the Salmon Run uh, game. Mm-hmm. One of the tracks that goes on that very uh, discordant and weird mode <laughs> that is also like super cool and I'm very much into. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just love how kind of demented this music is. And it's always kind of evolving and growing. And there's new instruments playing over this real, this real dour uh, riff that mm-hmm. kind of repeats itself. And it gets distorted and grungy and just nasty, and I, I like that. It, it's cool to have that uh, that really kind of grungy end on top of Splatoon 2, which is, uh, for all intents and purposes, otherwise a pretty spit-shine, polished, uh, colorful, happy game. Yeah, Splatoon's music seems very much like its world. It's vaguely recognizable as our own, but it's been mm-hmm. overtaken by this almost alien aspects that they imitate yeah, that's a our good world, way to describe but it. they don't really know what our world is or what it is they're imitating. <laughs> it's like an imitation based off of a description you found in a book instead of actually imitating the thing itself. And like you said, with the dour guitar part, and especially with the with the salmon run mode where you're strongly implied to be working for this pretty sketchy guy for <laughs> under the table job that is probably not on the level or legitimate in any way. Uh, but the the guitar part is like the human objects which populate Splatoon and its levels where there are just these random objects just floating out in in the space and they're out of reach, they're out of uh, out of context, but they're surrounded by this dense uh, macabre scenery, which makes more sense to the inklings than it does to us, uh, as as it does to humans. There's a really good synthesis of the music complementing the level design in Splatoon. Do we ever get a sense of what the salmon eggs are used for in the Splatoon world? I always got the impression that this guy who only ever talks to you through a bear statue, so even who even knows what he is, but I always got the impression he was eating them. Yeah, well, anyways, there's lots to be discussed there, and I'm sure that there's some interesting video essays on the internet about the uh, the lore of Splatoon. Uh, but let's listen to some of the music. This is Cream, for all intents and purposes, by Omega-3 from Splatoon 2. Thank you. 
do we have one track to listen to yet today and we'd like to remind everyone to go to our forum and request your own favorite tracks that is canadarinse.com slash forum you can tweet us at canadarinse also and uh, you can request your own favorite tracks we'll play them in a future sound of play and I'd like to thank Andrew for joining me today. Uh, we've already got a chance to talk a little bit about the Switch Focus Pod, but do you have anything else that you would like to draw people's attention towards? No, just Switch Focus Pod. We just recorded our 50th episode, so I, I think we're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that uh, it takes a lot of work to put a podcast together, so we we applaud the effort as as always, you know, brothers in arms, so to speak. <laughs> Let's uh, let's close out on a, another request from you. This is a game that I think people... It, it's one of those interesting mashups of different series and different fandoms that everyone approaches from a different perspective and everyone seems to have like their favorite character that's a part of it that makes them interested in it in the first place. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, why don't you uh, introduce this, this theme song that you're bringing along. This is the main theme from Telltale Games' Poker Night at the Inventory, where four different game characters, uh, the heavy uh, Strong Bad and Taiko Brahe and I want to say Sam. <laughs> I, I haven't played uh, Max this. the Rabbit, I think. Oh, Max I think Sam rabbit. was in the sequel. Okay. Uh, and Max the Rabbit uh, get together and they play poker. <laughs> and it's uh, it's just this collision of these four different personalities and the way they react to each other which uh adds a lot of humor obviously but also a lot of dynamism to what is basically just a poker game uh and i appreciate this song which is from jared emerson johnson who actually scored almost all of telltale's games so he definitely deserves some recognition for his versatility because telltale had a lot of different franchises that they were involved in uh up until their dissolution last month and his multi-talent and his ability to dip into all these different genres outside of the license tracks that telltale used deserves some recognition and even though this is a track to a poker game it has a sort of a heist movie feel to it which adds this tension and excitement to what could be you know i, I played mm -hmm. several poker games in the 90s which even had like characters that you played against but they were still they were pretty boring because they were just very quiet and the characters didn't have much personality to them uh, but this addition of excitement is needed when you're putting these four disparate characters from these four different worlds with different humors together into this single setting. And this music is basically the tonal uh, backbone of this collective work of art that is Poker Night at the Inventory. Very cool. So as I mentioned earlier, these four different characters from four completely separate games, was there one in particular that got you interested or was it just the overall telltale uh, studio history that made you interested in the game? Uh, the overall history, I think when this game came out, I hadn't actually played or any of the games or read any of the web comics these things came from. Okay. So they were just kind of these amusing characters. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have an interesting relationship with uh, how I become aware of some video games. So mm. uh, this was my first introduction to most of these characters. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I do think about uh, Strong Bad every once in a while from that kind of old internet uh, from uh, the Homestar Runner videos from way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting, like how ubiquitous that was on the internet back in 
back in the old days before, you know, there was, before we were like really drowning in choices like we are now. Yeah, like uh, Trogdor was in Guitar Hero 2. That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's really something. Uh, well, anyways, let's, uh, let's leave off with this. This is the main, main theme from Jared Emerson Johnson from Poker Night at the Inventory by Telltale Games. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>